Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Absolute truth. Wow. We are going to be talking about some uh, really important things today about Jesus and truth. Uh, it makes me think about uh, what Jesus would often say when he gets done teaching. He would say, um, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit has to say. I want to challenge you today that today we're going to be looking at some very straightforward, very tough teaching of Jesus. Like no compromise, take no prisoners type teaching. And I would encourage you and ask you, are you willing to hear today what the Spirit is saying to the churches? You see? Let me pray. Father, we, we come into your presence today and we just so much want to know the truth. We want to know the truth. We want to live the truth. We want to be all about truth. Because, Lord, we, we know that truth leads to fulfillment and truth leads to freedom and truth leads to, to life, both in this life and the next. And so, so it's important what we're talking about today. And so we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray this in your name. Amen. It was a Friday. Uh, he'd come into town with his men. He was actually outside the capital city a couple miles in a small little village where he had some good friends. And they were hanging out for the next two days. Friday and Saturday, and then on Sunday, he and his men, they, they went into the capital city, into Jerusalem. He, he rode on a colt, the crowds went wild, that came into the praise of the people. On Thursday of that week, he would be arrested and taken into custody, but this was Tuesday. It was Tuesday of that week, and he was teaching at the temple. It was a crazy time in the city because it was Passover, and during Passover, hundreds and thousands of people, some estimate hundreds of thousands of people, pilgrims, would pack into Jerusalem for, for, for Passover. And he spent the day teaching in the temple precincts, and when he was done teaching, he walked out that day, and on his way out, his, one of his men said to him, and said, look at this, what this amazing temple complex, look at the size of the stones in this place. And he knew exactly what they were thinking. They thought he was about to launch his kingdom. They thought he was about to take over the government. The time had finally come, and soon they would be running that temple. Soon they would be these cabinet officers, this kid in the new government. They were right about one thing. It was an amazing place. The temple had been being in a remodel project for the last 50 years. Herod the Great had started remodeling the temple 50 years earlier, millions and millions of dollars. Thousands and thousands of men had worked over the 50 years. It was truly one of the ancient wonders, or one of the wonders of the ancient world. Um, the temple complex was made out of solid white marble, the whole thing. Huge blocks of, of marble had been chiseled out of the quarries and brought in and set up to make this incredible temple. It was more like a fortress, really, than just a temple. The, the, the temple itself was 15 stories tall, 15 stories wide, and covered with pure gold. From a distance, as you, a visitor would approach Jerusalem, they could see on top of Mount Zion, the temple complex. In the midst, they could see the huge temple rising up. Visitors, visitors described it as looking like a snow-capped mountain glistening in the sunlight. And so as they walked out that day, and his men turned to him and said, look at these amazing buildings. He knew exactly what they were thinking. He was reading their mind. And he stopped them right away. 
And he shocked them. He said, you see these buildings? You see this complex? You see these stones? I'm telling you, a day's going to come when these stones are going to be torn down. This complex is going to be destroyed. In fact, they will be so devastated, not one of these huge stones will be left upon the other. Well, they didn't want to say. It didn't fit their paradigm. Messiahs don't lose. Their temples aren't destroyed. And so they went silent, and they traveled through the packed city, through the narrow streets, out through the eastern wall, out through one of the eastern gates, down the, down the hillside to the Kedron Valley, up the other side to the Mount of Olives. And later in the day, four of his men get the courage up. They want to go and ask him about the statement that he made. What was he talking about? Well, when will your kingdom come? When is the end of this age? When is it all going to happen? When are you going to take power? And so they come and they ask him their questions. And Jesus looks off down the long corridors of time and he begins to describe the events of the coming age. Some of those events would happen within their lifetime. Like the very unlikely at that time destruction of the city of Jerusalem and destruction of the temple that would happen in 70 AD. Other events have still not happened. Scholars still debate and argue today over what is the exact events that will happen of the end times. What are the exact order and the timetable of those events? But one thing that Jesus said that day that they don't argue about, that he was crystal clear on that day, is that between the time of his first coming and the time when he returns, that one of the big dangers that his followers have to face is the danger of what he called false teaching. He said that there would be teachers that would come who would claim to be speaking for him, teachers that would come that would be claimed to be speaking for God, who in actuality weren't speaking for God that he had not sent. And there was a tremendous danger to our spiritual life. It was a very real danger. And so he warned his men that there would be gifted teachers who would come. And they would even have the ability to do miracles, but not to be deceived. He warned them, be on guard as my followers against those who come and claim to be teaching in my name, but are not teaching in my name. So today we come and we talk about Jesus and the truth. We're in the second half of chapter 7. If you are here last week, you know how this goes. Jesus has laid out the message of his movement in chapters 5, 6, and 7. He's bringing his message now to an end. The sermon's coming to a close. And he's beginning to press us for decision. Uh, I've laid out my message. I've told you about my movement. Are you in or are you out? Are you going to be one of my followers or are you going to stay in the crowd? So this whole final section is all about choice. It's all about consequence. Last week, he said there's only two, two roads in life, uh, the narrow road, the wide road. One leads to life, one leads to death. Uh, he said there's only two gates in life, two doors in life. Which door are you going through? This whole section is about choice and consequence. So today he's going to come to us and he's going to talk to us about false teachers and true followers and how to recognize them. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. We'll pick it up at verse 15. <clears throat> 7 and 15. Watch out for false prophets. Now, in the story I just told that we started the day with, this is what Jesus said, watch out for false prophets. Between the time when I, I come, that this is a very real danger. Now, often, as followers of Jesus Christ, I'm not sure we really believe him. I think we kind of think, well, you know what, we kind of got a wire. Uh, we, you, know, we, you know, we've been Christians a little while, we've been Christ followers a little while, and we kind of know the basics, and we got it pretty well. I, I don't think I'll be deceived. And Jesus comes and says, no, 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 you need to be on guard. You need to be on guard. Remember, he's telling the apostles <laughs> this. 
If anyone should be, not need to be on guard, it'd be the apostles. But he's telling the men who would become the apostles. He says, watch out for false teachers. There are going to be people that come into your life who claim to be speaking for God, who claim to be teaching the truth, who are not. And the, the, the uh, impact can be devastating. So he says, watch out for false prophets. And they will come to you in sheep's clothing. In other words, they're going to look good. They're going to sound good. Um, people don't come up and say, hello, I'm a false prophet. I would like to rip you off. You know, uh, I'm your worst nightmare. Welcome to my church. That's not going to happen. He says they're going to look good. They're going to come in sheep's clothing. Um, but inwardly, where their motives are, they're actually ferocious wolves. They're out to use you, not bless you. And he says, now here's how you'll know him. He's going to give us a test. And later on today, we're going to talk about three specific tests that Jesus gives in his life and ministry of how do you recognize truth from error? How do you do that? But here's one of the, the he's going to focus on one in this passage today. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So he's using an a, a, a agricultural metaphor. So let's, let's say that you, you, you move into a, a, a new home in, in uh, I don't know, Chatsworth or Simi Valley. And it's an older home, and so it's got a lot of land. Uh, and so it's got like a half acre, and it's full of fruit trees. And you know nothing about fruit trees. Uh, you're, you're not a gardening type. And so they've told you you have 18 fruit trees on your property. And you look at you don't know one from another. Well, how are you going to figure it out? Well, you could do internet research, but that sounds really boring. So what you probably do is you wait until harvest time. And it's like, oh, that's an apple tree. Well, how do you know? It's got apples on it. Oh, that's an apricot tree. How do you know? Oh, it's got apricots. Well, is it a healthy tree or a sick tree? Looks pretty sick. Look at the fruit. It's all shriveled. Oh, it's a really healthy tree. Look at the size of those oranges. They're beautiful. So Jesus is going to use this agriculture. He says, you know what? When it comes to evaluating teachers in your life and who to follow and who not, you need to look not at what they're saying. You need to look at their lives, at their character, the fruit of their lives. He says, you you can tell a lot by that. So he goes on. He says, by their fruit you will recognize them. (coughs) Do people pick uh, grapes from thorn bushes? Uh, No. Uh, Do they pick uh, figs from thistles? Uh, No, he's making this very easy. Uh, Verse 17, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree, in fact, it can't bear bad fruit. It's hard to hide character over time. Uh, You can stand on a platform and you can say a lot of things and everyone, oh, that sounds pretty good and all. But if you know the person, if if you're around them, it's hard to hide character. Uh, A good tree will bear good fruit. A bad tree will bear bad fruit. Uh, so verse 18, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that doesn't bear good fruit, so every, every false teacher that is out there misleading people away from the true God, he says uh, he will be cut down, he or she will be cut down and thrown into the fire. They'll be judged, held accountable. And thus, here's the principle, by their fruit you will recognize them. So this first passage is about how do you recognize false teachers, okay? The second section we're going to look at is how do you recognize true followers? There's a lot of people that claim to be followers of Jesus, right? You take polls in our country today, and it's like you find, oh, we're a Christian nation. And it's like I'm always wondering, where are they all hiding? It's not where I'm at, you know? (laughs) And uh, so so he says there's a lot of people that are going to claim at the end time when Jesus comes out. There's a lot of people that are going to claim, oh, Lord, remember me, Jim, you know? And he's going to go like, no, no, you're not one of mine. 
And so he's, how do you recognize true followers? Verse 21. <coughs> Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So he says a lot of people who know the lingo. A lot of people have the religious lingo down. Oh, Jesus this, Jesus that, Lord this, Lord that. You know. And so they're kind of religious. There's a lot of people who know the lingo. But they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is going to be a big surprise to them. Um, I can't imagine how devastating this must be. Now, let's say you've gone through your whole life, and you've heard about Jesus, you've heard the claims of Jesus, but you just have not bought in, you've rejected, I don't believe he's who he claims to be, I'm not following Jesus for whatever reason, or I'm just too busy to check out Jesus, and then you get to the end of your life, and you find out he really is who he claimed to be. Now, that would be a major bummer. Can we agree on this? It would be a major bummer. You reject him in this life, and then you find out he really is the real deal. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. Well, it does get a little worse. Here's how it gets worse. What would be worse is to get to the end of your life, and you think you have a relationship with Jesus, and you introduce yourself, and he says, excuse me, have we met? Now, can you imagine how devastating that would be? And yet, that's exactly the scenario that he's describing here. He says, not everyone, verse 21, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But only he, and here's the key, we'll come back to it many times today, only he who does the will of my Father. What's the mark of a true follower of Jesus? You follow. <laughs> um, so everyone does the will of my Father. And he says, now to catch this, now many will say to me, now underline that word many. This is not an exception to the rule. He says, and when I come back, there's going to be a lot of people who see themselves as, my, as, as believers. In fact, many of them are going to have impressive spiritual resumes. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. So again, they got the lingo thing down. They're the religious person. They, they got the whole, you know, Jesus talk thing down. And then they're going, to get, they're going to lay out the resume. Hey, didn't we prophesy in your name? I mean, we, we spoke prophetically, supernaturally for you. And in your name, we drove out demons. I mean, they, they did exorcisms. I mean, this is pretty big-time stuff. Would you agree? I mean, when was the last time you cast out a demon? Um, and then he says, and uh, in, in, in your name, they performed many miracles. Not just once, many. So would you agree that's a pretty impressive spiritual resume? And yeah, look what happens. He says, then I will tell them plainly, he's going to shoot straight, I never knew you. You got the right language. You have an impressive resume. But the reality is we never had a real relationship. And that's how we get in the kingdom, by a real relationship. He says, so away from me, you evil doers. So they're not doing the will of the Father. They're doing their own thing. Okay? There's a passage. Now, here's what we want to do today. In the time we have, I want to talk about um, uh, following Jesus in the midst of a postmodern world. What does that look like? Um, there's, and there's two big picture principles that stand out to me in this passage um, that really flow out of Jesus' teaching. We're, what we're going to do is what we, we've done every week in this whole series is we're going to take this teaching of Jesus as a launching pad, as a gateway into the life and teaching of Jesus. And we're going to be focused on two major big picture principles that undergird everything Jesus does, everything he teaches, that are so important for us if we're serious about following him. So here's number one. Let's jump in. First big picture principle. The first thing we learned today is what we believe really matters. What you believe about life, about God, 
your relationship with God, what you believe really matters. Now, we live in the midst of a world who no longer believes this. We live in the midst of the world that increasingly what you believe about God and your relationship with God doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere about it. And so we saw this in the, the uh, opening uh, little interview thing we had. You know, do you believe in absolute truth? Uh, yeah, well, well, you know, what if, where do you get it from? Well, from society. <laughs> well, what if the society changes their mind? Well, then absolute truth changes. Well, wouldn't that mean it's relative? Well, everything's relative. Well, how do you know the truth? Well, truth was what it is true to me. I have my truth. You have your truth. We all have our different truths. Well, what if your truth's better than my truth? I'll change my truth to be like your truth, and then it'll be my truth. You see, and we, so we live in a culture that increasingly questions whether there is any th- such thing as something that's really true and false, something that's really right and wrong. And Jesus comes and says, no, absolutely, there is an absolute truth. In fact, he'll say, I am the truth. <laughs> I am the truth. All truth comes from me. In fact, what he'll say to us is he'll say that the reason I came was to bring the truth. And it's the truth that is the key to your freedom in life. It's the truth that's the key to your fulfillment in life. And it's the, the truth that's the key to your future eternally in life. Okay? So there on your note sheet, for example, just a couple things Jesus said. Uh, John 8, 31, 32, he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Okay, so truth is really important. What you believe is really important because it has the power to set you free. If you look at the next verse, here's the claim he made in John 14 where he said, I am the truth. And so he claims not only there is such a truth, he's come to bring us the truth. It's the key to our fulfillment, freedom, and our future life. So the big question today we need to look at is, well, then how do we discern it? Now, in this passage that we study, he gives us one of the tests. But if you look at over the course of his life and teaching, there's actually three kinds of tests that Jesus says as followers of his that we need to use to discern truth in our life. And so I want to run through them there. So there in your note sheet, have three kinds of tests according to Jesus. Number one, the first one I'm calling the word test. (coughs) And the question is, does it fit with the word? So the word being the word of God uh, at his point in time, the Old Testament. Now we have the whole Old and New Testament. But the question is, um, how does this new teaching fit with what the Word has to say? That's that's a question as followers of Jesus. Whenever someone comes to us with a new teaching that sounds new to us, a claim about something about God or our relationship, that the first thing we need to run through is, well, how does this fit with what I know of what the Word teaches? Now, of course, Jesus was a man of the Word, wasn't he? And we've been studying this, this whole series. We've seen it over and again. He'd teach out of the word. He based his life in the word. He saw his life as a, as a fulfillment, a prophecy of the word. It's really hard to make sense of Jesus without understanding this, that he was a man of the word. That everything he taught, everything he did, flowed out of what God had already spoken in the Old Testament, out of the word. And so he comes to us and says, if you're going to be my followers, you need to be people of the word. In fact, in uh, uh, John chapter 17, the last night before he's arrested, he's doing this long prayer. He's concerned about his men because he's leaving planet Earth. They're staying behind. And so he prays for them in John 17. I put it there in your note sheet. 
He says, God, would you sanctify them? Would you sanctify them? Which is sort of a stained glass spiritual word uh, that means to uh, like purify, uh, uh, to set them apart you know, from, from the world, like take care of them, uh, uh, kind of make them who they need to be. Uh, sanctify them by the truth. So catch this. The way that we're sanctified or purified or set apart in our life is by what? It's the truth that sets us free. And so he says, so, so Father, would you sanctify them by the truth? But then look what he says next. It's your word is truth. And so in our lives, the first question is, when someone comes with a new teaching to us, is how does this fit with the word? Now, it's important here that we have a balance because many times in our life, God's going to send us someone, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a book, whether it's a, 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 someone on TV, whether it's someone in our, our workplace, they're going to come and they're going to share an idea with us that, and that God really wants us to get. It's a new idea for us. So we need to be open to new things. Think through your life. Uh, how many of you would say, hey, in the last 10 years, I've not changed any opinion of who God is or how I relate to him? <laughs> Anyone want to say that? Just absolutely, you had it right 10 years ago, you've stuck with it, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, we all change, right? Like some of you, for example, I know a lot of you here uh, have come from church backgrounds that were very legalistic. Uh, they had a lot of man-made rules added to Jesus' rules. And so Christians don't do this, or Christians don't do that, and it just smothered your whole life with God. And somewhere along the way, someone came along and said, that's not the truth. Jesus didn't come to tie you up. Jesus came to set you free. These are man-made rules. And you got really nervous, because like, oh, do I leave my old rule? You know, it's like, what if that's really what God wants me to do? And so, but as you looked into the word, you found out, yeah, those aren't like God's things. That's man's things. We need to let them go. And you experience new freedom. And so there are times where God wants to bring us new truths. So we need to be open to people coming into our life and saying, no, here's something new. But on the other hand, the other side of the balance is we need to always be checking the new with the old. How, how, does, how does this new teaching fit with what God has already spoken? Now, let me give you an example. great example of this is in the book of Acts chapter 17. So take your Bibles and turn there. <coughs> In Acts 17, Paul is, the Apostle Paul is traveling from town, town to town, uh, sharing the good news about Jesus, how Jesus came to die for us uh, so we could be forgiven and have a new relationship with God. And there were some people in towns that were open to him and some that weren't, some towns that were more open than others. So in chapter 17, he comes to the town of Thessalonica, and they were not open to the message. In fact, they chased him out of town. And so what he was sharing was a new message. It didn't fit with their paradigm of how God works. They weren't open at all, and they missed what God had for them because of that lack of openness. The next town, they come to much better response. What they basically says, Jesus, uh, Paul comes and says, hey, let me share about Jesus. Uh, in the Old Testament, it says that when the Messiah comes, there'll be certain prophetic things that happen about his life, his death, his resurrection. He, he takes them through the word. He shows them in the word. Uh, he tells them about Jesus and the facts of his life. He says, therefore, Jesus meets the criteria. Therefore, Jesus is the Messiah. And, and so their response, notice with a brand new idea. They didn't know the apostle Paul from Adam, had no credentials with them. But I want you to see how they responded to this new teaching that was radically different. And their response is a perfect model for us and how we should respond. So Acts chapter 17 and verse 11.
And as soon as I get it, I will read it. I don't know how that happened. Paper clips clipped the wrong thing. Yeah. See, this is in the New Testament, right? Okay, there we go. Here we go. Acts, yeah. You want your Bible? No, I don't want your Bible. I want a real Bible. Okay, uh, Acts, uh, Acts chapter 17. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. Just, uh, I don't use a pink Bible. No, it's just kidding. <laughs> I'm just saying, all right. Okay, so here we go. Perfect response, Acts 17, 11. You ready? Now, the Bereans, that's the town there in Berea. So the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, where they just come from, that town. Now, catch this. For they received the message that Paul brought with great eagerness, and they examined the Scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. Do you see that balance? They, Paul shares a new message, the great eagerness. Wow, that's a cool message. That sounds really good. Let me listen. I want to listen. Okay, now let me get my Bible out and see, does that really fit? So Jesus says, this is the first test for us as his followers. When someone brings a new message, is that we need to say, okay, does that fit? Now, and let me say this. We're not talking about uh, any, any false teacher that comes is always going to quote the Bible. <laughs> right? They're always going to quote a Bible. So we're not talking about a verse or two. You can prove anything you want in the Bible. The verse or two. Uh, we're talking about opening up your word. Is this really the flow of teaching of the Bible? Does this really fit with the overall teaching of the Bible on that topic? Okay, number two. The second question is the one that we saw in the text today. It's the character test. And, it, and the question is, how's the fruit? So Jesus says there's going to be people that come into our lives that uh, claim to be speaking, and they're often going to look really good. They're going to be very gifted. They're going to look like sheep. They're going to look very good. Um, they may even do m- miracles. He says, but don't be fooled. Uh, don't look and say, just because that guy's an incredible speaker, just because uh, they have great charisma, wow, just because a lot of people are, seem to be coming to Christ. Just, hey, well, there's miracles. How could, God, how could it not be from God if there's miracles? He says, no, 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 look beyond that. And you have to look beyond the, the surface and you have to ask about a person's character, about the fruit of their life. He says, you gotta look deeper. Now, can I tell you something? As a Christian community, we are often horrible at this. You know? You, you look across our country and you see them all the time, the scandals that come up. And, and that's not what surprises me. The scandals come up. You know, someone's embezzling money or having a lot of sexual escapades or, or a lack of integrity. I mean, when you, when you put a person in a lot of place, a lot of power and a lot of fame, and a lot, it's like that's human nature. And unless they're careful, that can happen. That doesn't surprise me. But here's what always blows me away is that usually when that happens, there were people all around them that saw all the warning signs and they ignored it because, well, but they're so gifted. Well, but look what... People are coming to Christ. Well, but, you see, it's that what happens is Jesus said, be on guard here and watch the, do the character test, and yet we often skip this test as long as it looks good. And so he says, no, no, no. When it's coming to picking leaders, when it's coming to picking teachers you're going to follow, uh, check with are they, is what they're teaching from the Word, but also check the character things, you know? Now, you say, well, what kind of character tests? Where would we find that? Well, the New Testament gives, just gives us a ton of, like, character lists. Okay, here's a type of character. Let me just give you a three or four examples. Um, remember at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, we started the series. Remember our first sub-series we called the Character of the Kingdom. 
There was eight character qualities that flow out of the Beatitudes there that describe the kind of character that Jesus is trying to create in us as his followers. Remember there are things like brokenness and humility. Remember like gentleness, blessed are the meek. Uh, uh, those who, who care about others, those who uh, mourn. Uh, those who uh, have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, they have a drive to do the right thing, a lot of integrity. Uh, blessed are those who are pure. In, so they, there's a purity in their life, purity of motives, purity morally. Uh, blessed are those uh, who are, uh, uh, are willing to be persecuted, so there's courage. Blessed are the peacemakers who are able to get along with others. These are character qualities that we should be looking for in those that we would follow as a teacher. Um, other examples. New Testament book of Galatians. Paul actually uses this term. He talks about, in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. He says when the Spirit is working in a person's life, there's certain fruit that is born, character fruit. And there in your note sheet, I put this uh, passage, uh, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, <coughs> it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. So, do you see how these are character qualities? Says these, this is the fruit. If a person's a good tree, this is the fruit that's coming out of their life. So, so watch for it. Another example, when we pick church leaders, you know, right now in your bulletin, you have an announcement about uh, uh, elders and, and uh, elder selection for next year and elder nominations. And so what the Bible says is when you pick leaders for the church, it gives us a list of here's what to look for in several places, and they're almost all character qualities. For example, I put one there on your note sheet, uh, example from 1 Timothy. This is from the New Living Translation. An elder or a church leader must be a man whose life cannot be spoken against. The character. Um, he must be faithful to his wife, so there's moral purity, sexual purity. Uh, he must exhibit self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation, not be a heavy drinker, so there's not a substance abuse issue. Not be violent, doesn't have anger problem. I must be gentle, peace-loving, not, uh, and not one who loves money. Okay? And so character qualities. One of my favorites that's not anywhere on this list is in uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. This is one that I just run through my mind all the time. You know, I'm in a situation, okay, Mike, remember what you're supposed to be, you know? You got five things there. Compassionate, gentle, humble, kind, patient. I was in a kind of a bureaucratic situation this last week. I won't remember what well, wasn't here at the church. <laughs> uh, it was a, another situation I was in. I, I knew I was going into a bureaucracy. And, uh, and so I pulled myself aside before I went in. and said, Mike, remember, you know how you hate incompetence. You know how you are. You know how it frustrates you when things just aren't run well. You know? And so as you go into this process... Remember the man you're to be. You're to be compassionate. You're to be kind. You're to be gentle. You're to be humble. And you're to be patient. That's your top priority as you go in this meeting. Do, don't forget it. You see? Character qualities. You see? All right. So, so the character test is the second test. And so the third test, the third test, according to Jesus, <laughs> is what I'm calling the spirit test. The spirit test. Someone coughed. The spirit test. Uh, what's the spirit telling you? Now, this is an interesting one, one we often neglect. Uh, the first two are more well-known. This is one we often neglect. 
Jesus clearly says that when we follow him, when we give our lives to Jesus, one of the things that happens is that he sends his Holy Spirit to invade our life, to be our life coach, our mentor, our teacher. And one of the teacher's jobs, one of the Holy Spirit's jobs is to lead us into all truth. In fact, they put that there on your note sheet, John 16, 13, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That's his job. So what this means is if you're a follower of Jesus, now if you have not yet given your life to Jesus, this has not yet happened for you. It will happen for you when you give your life to Jesus. But, but if you're a follower of Jesus, when you gave him your life, the Holy Spirit invaded your life as your life coach. And here's the thing. One of his jobs is to lead us to truth. And one of the things he does, he gives us a, a spiritual nose for the truth. He gives us spiritual intuition about truth. And this is why you've probably experienced this sometime. You're talking with someone, you're listening to someone on the radio, you're reading a book, and it kind of sounds really good, but there's something inside you that something about this doesn't feel quite right. Have you ever had that happen? Or you're listening to someone teach, and it's like, they all sound good and it's all slick, but something about that person, I'm just getting bad vibes. And what often is happening, not always, but what often is happening is the Holy Spirit is like putting the warning lights on the spiritual dashboard of your life saying, alert, alert, alert. Be wise, be attention, pay attention here. Something's going on. Something's not right. But what we often do is just blow it off. Oh, it's just me. Look, they got to be successful. Look how many people are coming to Christ. So they got to be this. Well, it's got to be. Look how many uh, copies of this book that's sold. You know, well, it must be okay. He's on Larry King Live. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, you see what I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit not, uh, is given to give us an intuitive sense, apart from any reason, just an intuitive, direct sense of discernment. Now, let me give you an example of this. Turn in your Bibles to the little book of 1 John. It's in the right in your Bibles, way in the back. If you hit Revelation, just kind of put it in reverse just a little bit. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John is right before 2 John and 3 John. And so if you get that, just, you know, like I said, just back it up. Back up the truck, a couple pages will be there. Okay, so here's the situation. 1 John. Uh, John's writing to a church. They're facing some serious false teaching that's coming into their church about who Jesus is, how to live the Christian life, things like that. And so he writes to them, and what he's basically going to tell them is, look, you guys, you have the Holy Spirit. He's taught you how to live. Would you just listen to what he's telling you? Pay, pay attention. That's what he's going to say. So in chapter 2, verse 20, <coughs> he says, he says, you all have an anointing from the Holy One. Now, anointing is one of the terms used to describe the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And that's what the context is here. You have an anointing from the Holy One, therefore you all know the truth. Now verse 27, skip down there. As for you, the anointing you received from him, and when you became a Christian, you received his anointing, the Holy Spirit, um, it, it remains in you, he's in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you on this issue. You, you don't really need, you know, you know what's going on. He says, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as his anointing is real, and not counterfeit. It's true and not false, what he's saying. Just as he has taught you in the past, remain in him. You see? He says, hey, listen, you got some false teaching coming in. I'm writing to you about that false teaching, but really, you don't need me even to be writing because you know, if you just pay attention to what the Spirit's telling you, you know there's something off here. You know this is wrong. 
So three tests that Jesus gives us in his ministry, how do you discern truth? The word test, the character test, the spirit test. Now, that's the first big picture when we spent way more time on that than the second one. But the first big picture principle is so what we believe in life really matters it's the, it's the, the, because the truth is the secret of our fulfillment, our freedom, and our future. Now, the second principle from this Matthew 7 passage is that what we do really matters. So it's not just what we believe, it's what we do. So, <clears throat> this, this really addresses the question, how do you know if you're a true follower? Like you're sitting here today, and uh, uh, you may be brand new at church, you may have been in church a long time, but um, like how do you know if you're a true follower of Jesus today, how do you know if you were to die today whether you would make it into his kingdom? How do you know that? Um, and so Jesus wants to address that. He's, he's coming to the end of his sermon now. He's laid out for us the message of his movement. He's bringing us to a point of decision, a point of choice. If you remember, we started this series. We started in chapter 5. We said that when Jesus was on that hillside that day on the sea, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, that there was two kinds of people in that large group there. Remember, there's only two kinds of people. He said there was a crowd. The crowd are the people that are curious about Jesus. They've come to listen to him teach. They've heard he's amazing. They, they perhaps want to catch a miracle or two. Uh, so they, they're, come, they're in the crowd. They've not yet made a decision to follow Jesus. They're just interested and curious. Some of you are here today, and that's great. It's where we all start our journey with Jesus. We all start in the crowd. And there were other people there, a much smaller group, that were uh, the committed. They were his followers. They were his disciples. These were the student, his students, those people that said, I have become convinced that Jesus is who he claims to be, and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be his disciple, so I learn to live my life like he lives his life. Okay? And so there's only two kinds of people in life. There are either people in the crowd or people that are in the kingdom. Only two kinds. Every one of us here is either in one of those two categories. And so Jesus in this passage now wants to talk to us, what does it take to be among his true followers? That second category. And what he's going to say is it comes down to what we do. Now that might surprise you a little bit. We'll talk about that. And if that strikes you as a little bit odd, just hang on to that for a second. But here's what he says. Um, like in chapter 7, and verse uh, 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, <coughs> Lord, Lord, uh, has the right verbiage, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who, what? What's the next word? Does. You get that? Okay, he says, So having the right lingo doesn't get us in. Um, only one who does the will of my Father. In fact, many will come to me that day, and, and they're going to have amazing spiritual experiences. So there's some that are going to come that day and they're going to think that they're getting in because they have all the right lingo. Hey, we've been to church. We know the songs. We raise our hands. <laughs> uh, we, we, we know the books of the Bible. We even know where First John is. Um, and, uh, and we got that whole joke, Mike said, you know, about Second John, Third John. We got that, you know. And so we, we got this Lord, Lord thing down. We, we know that. We, we call Jesus Lord. Yes, we do. Okay, and so they think they're getting in because, Lord, Lord. And there's another group that says, hey, we'll take it one step farther. We've had these amazing spiritual experiences. 
Hey, we cast out demons. We did miracles. Now, I, I'm telling you, pretty impressive. You know, when's the last time, like I said, you know, you did a miracle? And these guys have pretty strong resume. And yet, they get to the end of their life and Jesus says, sorry, you're not coming in. Now, I don't know how that strikes you. But if that doesn't make you sit up and pay attention, I don't know what does. Right? It's like, wow. So what's going on here? And for many of us, frankly, in this room, it's probably a little bit confusing because you're saying, well, wait a second. But when I was, I, I know someone there eight years old and they, they went forward to a VBS and they've lived like hell ever since, but they called Jesus Lord on one occasion when they were eight years old. They said, Lord, would you come into my life? They said the Lord, Lord thing. So are, are you telling me they're not getting in? Well, hey, well, when I was 23 years old, I was at this meeting and I felt the presence of God came down. Some supernatural stuff happened. And, oh, well, yeah, I've walked with Jesus for the next 20 years. Yes, that's true. But, but, but I had this experience. I mean, doesn't that count for something? And Jesus comes and he says, there's three things that don't count. One thing that doesn't count is what we think of ourselves. That's one thing that doesn't count. Well, Lord, Lord, I mean, I'm in. It's like, you know, I'm sorry. I know you think, but what you think of yourself doesn't really count. It's what he thinks. The second thing that doesn't really count is religiosity, spiritual lingo. Doesn't count. Lord, Lord. The third thing that doesn't count is supernatural experiences. Oh, but I had this thing. What Jesus is telling us is there's only one test of whether a person is a true follower. You know what that test is? Do they follow? And we've gotten ourselves in a strange place in the United States. We have this kind of thinking that it's possible to be a follower of Jesus and not follow. It happens all the time. You meet someone that, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, and you look and you go, are you kidding me? I mean, they're doing everything Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't do. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. See, we've gotten ourselves in this strange spot. We think it's possible to be a follower of Jesus without following. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. The whole New Testament shows how messed up the early churches were. We're not talking about perfection. But there's, there's a serious commitment here that, that following Jesus is the most radical decision a person ever makes. It, it's giving up our right to ourselves. It's like you are the one and I'm yours. And that's what it's about. Here's the problem. We've misunderstood often what the New Testament teaches about believing in Jesus. We've defined believing as, hey, there's certain things that I would agree with on a true-false test. The New Testament never defines believing that way. You see, here's the problem. Jesus says these people are not getting into heaven for one reason. And he says that I never knew you. So think about this. What Jesus is saying is, I know you call me Lord, Lord, but the reality is we've never had that relationship. I've never been your Lord. You've said Lord, Lord, but we, we didn't have a real relationship. See, no one gets into heaven by doing good. No one gets into heaven by, by being good enough. None of us are good enough. We get into heaven by having a relationship with Jesus. But it's a relationship where we give him our life. We ask him to forgive our sins. 
to change us from the inside out and we follow him. It's a relationship we say, you are my Lord. To think that we have a relationship with the Lord without letting him be the Lord, we're just fooling ourselves. Uh, there's a very respected theologian, one of the most respected theologians in our country today. His name's uh, uh, Donald Carson, D.A. Carson. He's a, a, prof, a prof at Trinity Seminary. It's an evangelical f- uh, free school, print, uh, school in the Midwest. It's uh, one of the best seminaries in our school, I mean, our country. And, uh, and he has a great quote here, on your, and I put it here for you. And uh, look what he says. He says, it's true, of course, that no man enters the kingdom because of his obedience. We don't get in because I'm so obedient. You know, I deserve to get in. And he says, that's not it. You know, we get in because Jesus died for us, and we could never earn that. He said, but it's equally true that no man enters the kingdom who is not obedient. It's true that a man is saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. But it's equally true that God's grace in a man's life inevitably results in obedience. In other words, when we give our life to Jesus and he invades it by his spirit, he changes us from the inside out. And, and we, he creates a heart of obedience that we want to please him. And honestly, if you're here today and you can live a life of disobedience and it doesn't bother you, good chances are you are not a follower of Jesus yet. Because his DNA comes into us when we give, us, give him our lives and it creates a heart. We want to obey. And when we don't and when we fail, it bothers us. And it ruins our day. And it ruins our... Like, we're not happy about this. We are being disobedient. There's something wrong. He says, any other view of grace cheapens grace. It turns it into something unrecognizable. Cheap grace preaches forgiveness without repentance. Jesus, will you forgive me? I don't want to change my life. But will you forgive me? Church membership, in other words, being part of his body without rigorous church discipline, no accountability. Discipleship without obedience. Blessing without persecution. Joy without righteousness. Results without obedience. And catch this, in the entire history of the church, has there ever been another generation with so many nominal Christians and so few real? Wow, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, don't fool yourself. Don't get to that day and say, Lord, Lord, and have me say, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. You never let me lead your life. Don't fool yourself. He says, there's going to be many who are there that day who think they're part of my kingdom, and they're not. Don't be one of those. As he comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's bringing us, he said, man, I've been teaching you for two and a half chapters here. Now it's time for a decision. You know, the Apostle John was uh, Jesus' closest associate on earth. And uh, 30, 40 years later, he's writing a letter to a, a new church. And, and they're struggling with this issue. It's a letter of 1 John we just looked at. And, uh, and he, he talks to them about this. And I put this quote there on your note sheet from chapter 2 earlier. He says, uh, we, we know that we've come to know him. It's, remember the, Jesus said, I never knew you. Okay, so well, how do we know that if we know him? That's the question. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, yeah, I have a relationship with Jesus, Lord, Lord, but doesn't do what he commands is a what? Now, you can't get much straighter than that, right? We can't get there and say, but we didn't know. We didn't understand. I mean, it's like it's there for us. And the truth is not in him. 
says, this is how we know we're in him. We really have a relationship. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, man, when we're coming to the end of this amazing series we've been in, we've looked at what Jesus has taught about what it means to follow her. And it's time for us as a church now to begin to make a decision. Are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to be like those who were in the crowd that day that went away, said he is the most amazing teacher ever, and went back to doing life the way they always did? You see? Next weekend, we're going to have a time as a church where we come together in covenant with Christ together, where we have a chance to make a decision now after 30 weeks of teaching on the Sermon on the Mount to come together and to say, you know what, as individuals and as a church, Jesus, we don't want to play the game. We don't want to be the Lord, Lord people. We, we want to be the people who are truly following. We want you to be our leader. We want this church, the church at Rocky Peak, to be your people. We want your will. We want you to have absolute sway. We give our lives. We give our church to you absolutely. And next weekend, we're going to have a chance. We're going to look at the final teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, his final illustration, his call to follow. To follow. We're going to, look to going to take some time. We're going to look back over some of the key lessons we've learned in this series. Wrap it all up. Put the bow on it. But then we're going to have a chance individually and corporately to commit ourselves to be the church of Jesus Christ at Rocky Peak. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is I want to give you a week to think about this. I want to give you a week to mull on this, a week to talk to Jesus about this, this whole issue of is your life in alignment? Are you surrendered? Remember, I'm not asking are you perfect. We're all messed up. (laughs) what I'm asking is, are you aligned? Is he your leader? Is he your Lord? Are those words or is that real? I'm giving you a week to think about that so that next week when we come back, we'll be ready as a church to affirm our commitment as we take communion together next week. We take his body and blood, which means that he died for us so that we live for him. That's the meaning of communion. And so we're going to come together next week. Now, if you're here today and, and you're a follower of Jesus, it's a time to, to re-evaluate, to recommit. I'm going to give you a week. If you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's talking to you right now and you're like, Mike, I don't want to wait a week. Something's going on in my life. I, I need to follow Jesus now. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to wait a week. But I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to give you that chance. Can we pray together? Father, we come now as your church and we ask for a week of preparation. We ask that during this next week that you will meet us as a church. This next week you will spell out. We pray your Holy Spirit will be all over us. We pray he will not let us go. He will not let us forget that he will bring us back to us time and time again. Late at night, early in the morning, the middle of the day, the middle of the night. That he will be honest. If there's areas that we need to surrender We pray that he will not let us go until we have done that. Because as we've learned today, Lord, it's a path of surrender that's a path to life. It's a path of truth that's a path to freedom and fulfillment in our future. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage this week as a church to surrender absolutely to you for the future and for what you have for us, that we might experience the fullness of life that you came to give us. Now, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you're here today and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and you want to give your life to Christ, you want to make sure that you're in his kingdom, 
you can do that by simply praying a, a, a simple a prayer. And I'm going to pray that prayer. And if you, if you agree, just kind of pray along with me as you ask Christ in your life. Just say, Lord Jesus, I want to be a part of your kingdom. I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of all my sins, to change me from the inside out, to send me your spirit, and to save a place in the next life for me. If you just prayed that prayer and you were sincere, then Jesus has now heard that prayer. He's come into your life. His spirit has entered your life. And in a couple minutes, we'll be taking the morning offering and registration. On those registration cards or inside your bulletin, would you do me a favor and just write me a note and say, Mike, I prayed the prayer, and I'll know exactly what you mean. We'll send you a letter this week about this new relationship you're started with Jesus and some steps you can take, and we will pray for you this week as a staff. Lord, now we come and we, we present ourselves for a week of reflection. But as a church, we're not ready to recommit at this point. We need a week to prepare. We ask you to guide us through this week. If there's anything in our lives that's standing in the way of you doing what you want to do, we ask you this week you bring it to our attention so we can surrender it to you, so we can experience the fullness of life you came to give us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Jesus has an amazing plan for each of our lives. He said that he came to give us life, but it comes to the point where we surrender. And there's no kind of one foot in and one foot out. You know, sometimes we try to walk down the middle road in life, one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. But when you walk down the middle of the road, all you do is get run over from both sides. And, uh, and so may this be a week where God uh, just works in our lives in a new way, uh, calling us to that absolute surrender that releases the power of of God's Spirit in our life to, to recreate and to change and to shape and to bring us to life as we were meant to be lived. And may that be your experience this week as you surrender to Him in new levels as we prepare for next week when we come together to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, as the Apostle Paul says, that we might experience God's good and perfect and pleasing will, all that He has planned for our life. God bless you. Have a tremendous week. We'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.